morning. My name is Michael McCusker. The two December holidays enlightened Americans should truly celebrate are December 10th and 15th. The former being the 74th birthday of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And today, December 15th, is the 231st anniversary Bill of Rights Day in Yankee Doodle, USA. While the American Bill of Rights are fundamental laws of the USA, the UN Declaration of Human Rights act more as aspiration for humanity in general, but not yet its reality. And with the renewed threat of nuclear holocaust as a corollary of the Russian war against Ukraine, humanity is forced once more into a bunker mentality and dire apprehension. Yet among the most essential provisions of both documents are all humans are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act toward one another in a spirit of sodality. That's UN Article 1. Everyone is entitled to all rights and freedoms without distinction of any kind, such as race, color, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth, or other status. And that is UN Article 2. No law shall be made respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free expression thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition for a redress of grievance. And that's the First Amendment to the U.S. Bill of Rights. Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change religion or beliefs and freedom either alone or in community with others and to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers. And that's UN Articles 18 and 19. No distinction shall be made on the basis of the political, jurisdictional, or international status to which a person belongs. That is UN Article 2. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. UN Article 3. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search shall not be violated. And that's USA, Fourth Amendment. No one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. And that's UN Article 4. Everyone has the right to work, to free choice of employment, to just and favorable conditions of work, 
and to protection against unemployment. Everyone, without any discrimination, has the right to equal pay for equal work. And that's UN Article 23. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury of peers, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against themselves, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And that's USA, Fifth Amendment. No one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. That's UN Article 5. Everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. UN Article 6. No law shall be passed granting to any citizen or class of citizens privileges or immunities which upon the same terms shall not equally belong to all citizens. And that is from the Oregon State Constitution, Bill of Rights, USA. The most glaring omission of both the American Bill of Rights and the UN Declaration of Human Rights is the absence of a declaration of equal rights between women and men. The U.S. Bill of Rights neglects gender equality, and the closest the UN Human Rights Declaration gets is Article 16, in which both genders, quote, of full age, have a right to marry without any limitation due to race, nationality, or religion, and are entitled to equal rights as to marriage, during marriage, and its dissolution. This article ignores same-sex marriage, which is at least finally recognized in the USA in this new millennium, but is bitterly opposed by nearly the entire Republican political party. An equal rights amendment to the U.S. Constitution has failed at least twice and seems dead on arrival for a while yet, certainly with the current Supreme Court. The amendment reads in its entirety, Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex, quote, unquote. If the ERA had been in place, the Supreme Court might not have been able to abolish abortion. One possibility to encourage the process of finally making the ERA a part of constitutional law is for women who at least have had the right to vote for a century, to vote all who pose out of political office and support only candidates who endorse the ERA. In the words of Susan B. Anthony, there shall never be another season of silence until women have the same rights men have on this green earth. Eleanor Roosevelt, who chaired the United Nations Commission of Human Rights, said after the nearly unanimous vote by the UN General Assembly, I always get a lift out of the fact that you can hear all the criticisms 
and still have faith that the majority of the people will be right. I think it is always a very encouraging thing, one that we in the Human Rights Commission must have tremendous faith in, because that is really the way that human rights will come to be a reality. Only as the people really come to believe in human rights and want to live for human rights. Eleanor Roosevelt died 60 years ago at age 78 in 1962. She was born on October 11, 1884. And the poem, Tribute, the Goddess of Liberty. There she was, lifting her torch above the crowd, leading scholars against tyranny. Her frozen likeness guards New York, but she was last seen in action in the streets of Paris in the uprising of 1830, and immortalized by Delacroix, liberty guiding the people. Our romance was in Mexico in the late 1930s, where Rosa had gone to help Cardenas, but the news was bad, Guernica, Munich, and she began drinking at noon. I left the morning she confused me with Trotsky. Yet I never worried about her. When your politics are as good as hers, angels pay your rent. It was good to see you, O Rosa, raising hell in China. And now, by Paul Waldman. Truth can defeat gaslighting, the word of the year, but not always. Merriam-Webster has chosen gaslighting as its word of the year for 2022. This is likely to surprise neither the perpetrators of gaslighting, who had yet another banner year, nor the rest of us trying to avoid being gaslit. The term goes back to the 1938 play Gaslight and the subsequent film version with the recently deceased Angela Lansbury in her first movie role. It originally referred to someone trying to convince you that you are going mad and cannot trust what's in front of your eyes, but today it has come to mean any act of misleading someone. These days, we are being gaslit more than ever. And while the truth can and does sometimes prevail, the cases where attempts at gaslighting have fallen short provide little comfort. When the truth wins, it's only through an absolutely monumental effort and by the skin of its teeth. Take the 2022 elections. Despite efforts to foment electoral chaos by Donald Trump, and devotees of the lie that voter fraud is widespread, the election went off remarkably smoothly. Most of the worst conspiracy theorists were rejected, and while a few dead-enders refuse to accept their defeats, they haven't got much support. But that wasn't because of the irresistible power of the truth. It happened because election officials spent the past two years preparing for an assault. They did their jobs heroically, and election deniers were left without much raw material from which to spin their fantasies. Or take the recent struggles of Trump himself, 
the most prodigious liar in the history of American politics, if not that of the entire world. While he is still the leader of the GOP, more Republicans every day are making their distaste with him public, and he might actually be beaten in the 2024 primaries. The mountain of fact checks refuting him may have had an impact, but his fate will seemingly be decided by whether enough fellow Republicans worry that he is just a loser. And while the despicable Alex Jones is finally being held accountable by the families to whom he did so much harm with his conspiracy theories about school shootings, it took years of courageous struggle by his victims to reach this point. In none of these cases have the lies, former or current advocates, been convinced that there is something inherently wrong with lying. The purveyors of gaslighting remain committed to all kinds of other lies, that guns have nothing to do with gun violence, that cutting taxes for the wealthy helps everyone, that the Constitution's framers speak from beyond the grave in support of the entire Republican agenda, that we now have open borders, that Republicans care deeply about budget deficits, and so much more. Undergirding all the gaslighting is the unfortunately correct belief that there is no particular cost anymore to being widely regarded as a liar. This goes against the guiding light of the enterprise of journalistic fact-checking. If you catch a politician in a lie and explain the facts, they will stop repeating it. But that proposition relies on shame, and Trump taught his party that shamelessness is a kind of superpower, liberating you to laugh at the fact-checkers and keep lying as long as you find it advantageous. We now have seen that shamelessness does have limits, but Republicans still share Trump's faith in its power. And social media, including the new Twitter, which Elon Musk seems to be determined to turn into a sewer of hate and misfortune provide lies a means to spread faster and wider than ever in human history. Three centuries ago, Jonathan Swift wrote, falsehood flies and truth comes limping after it. As ever, spreading a lie is easy and beating it back is hard. Any fool can do the former, yet the latter takes care and effort. The worst among us have the advantage in this battle, and they always will. If we never forget that, we can hope from time to time to defeat them. And that was by Paul Waldman. Truth can defeat gaslighting, the word of the year 2022, but not always. And he wrote that for the Washington Post. And now... Could hemp be a key tool in the fight against climate change? By Jeremy Cluster. In all the debates on how to curb climate change, hemp is hardly mentioned. Better known as cannabis, modern varieties of hemp are too weak to use as narcotics, but they are extremely efficient at absorbing and locking up carbon. Hemp is one of the fastest-growing plants in the world, 
and can grow four meters high in 100 days. Research suggests hemp is twice as effective as, as trees at absorbing and locking up carbon. With one hectare, 2.5 acres, of hemp reckoned to absorb 8 to 22 tons of CO2 a year, more than any woodland. The CO2 is also permanently fixed in the hemp fibers, which can go on to be used for many commodities, including textiles, medicines, insulation for buildings, and concrete. BMW is even using it to replace plastics in various car parts. But unlike many other countries, the UK still classifies industrial hemp as a controlled drug, and growing the plant needs a home office license. Cultivation in Britain is only about 800 hectares, but work at the University of York and Biorenewables Development Center aims to increase this to 80,000 hectares and make hemp a leading UK crop. And that was Could Hemp Be a Key Tool in Fight Against Climate Change by Jeremy Plester. And he wrote it for The Guardian, which is a British newspaper, and it's American edition. And now, also from The Guardian, USA edition, by Eric Berger. Health experts in conundrum over best way to avoid winter triple-demic. Dr. Jason Newland, a pediatric infectious disease doctor at St. Louis Children's Hospital, is just waiting for his cold to start. I can list off about 10 people right now that have had some sort of illness in the past five days, Newland said. That's because of the respiratory synctal virus, RSV, and influenza seasons started months earlier than usual amid the continuing spread of COVID-19 and the common cold. The flu hospitalization rate is the highest it's been in a decade, according to public health officials. Scientists have described the collision of viruses as a triple-demic. This is an extraordinary event, and it is stressing the health care resources in many parts of the country very, very substantially, said William Schaffner an infectious disease expert at Vanderbilt University Hospital of Medicine. Fortunately, despite their concerns, public health officials are not calling for people to socially distance and avoid holiday gatherings, as many of them did earlier in the COVID-19 pandemic, which led to increased isolation and sometimes harmed people's mental health. Instead, they say there are other measures individuals should take to avoid spreading the viruses and becoming severely ill as meeting outdoors becomes harder than in the winter. I think the vast majority of people can gather and do it safely, and there are tools available to make it safe, said Jennifer Nuzzo, an epidemiologist and director of the Pandemic Center at Brown University School of Public Health. The populations that are most at risk from the viruses are babies, young children, and older adults, the infectious disease experts said. The unusual spike in cases of flu and RSV, likely due to the social distancing and masking employed during the pandemic, have overwhelmed 
children's hospitals around the country, according to public health officials. As for adults over age 65, Nuzo is concerned because of the low uptake of the second COVID-19 vaccine booster. Only about one-third of that population has received the most recent booster, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It is surprisingly low for that age group, despite the fact that age group has typically had high vaccination coverage, Nuzo said. And getting the latest COVID-19 vaccine booster and the flu vaccine is one of the best ways people can protect themselves from the viruses, the experts said. Neither of these vaccines is perfect, Schaffner said. Both of them are very good. They do their best in preventing the complications, the most serious aspects of these illnesses. So they are clearly of value to the individual. Both of them also, to a degree, diminish transmission so they contribute to the general health of families and communities. Still, the public health officials are not urging people to socially distance to avoid overwhelming hospitals as they often were during COVID-19 surges. But to gather more safely, they recommend that people use rapid COVID-19 tests. In addition to obliging everyone to be vaccinated who attends, ask people to take a rapid test the morning of the get-together and say, if you are negative, come celebrate. If you are not, we will contact you on FaceTime, Schaffner suggested. The idea of staying home when sick also, of course, applies to flu and RSV. If the grandchildren become snotty-nosed kids, that is, they get sick with respiratory infection, that's not the time to visit Grandma, Schaffner said. If you do become ill, please do not go to work, school, the gym, religious services, or other communal gatherings because you will be a dreaded spreader. The infectious disease experts also recommended that people frequently wash their hands. Unlike COVID-19, RSV lives on surfaces. Masking can also be a helpful tool. But Nuzo recognizes that a lot of people don't want to mask around their families anymore. On a ferry ride to a Thanksgiving gathering, Nuzo sat indoors because it was cold and wore a mask because it was crowded. But once there, she and her family did not wear masks. Masking adds safety for sure, as does opening the windows, as does testing, as does having air filtration devices running as does gathering outdoors instead of indoors, Nuzo said. Those things all still help. But I think people are making decisions differently about whether that feels worth it to them. Fortunately, there are indications that the RSV season could soon reach its peak and begin falling, according to the infectious disease experts. And for COVID-19, there is less vulnerability because the number of people who have been vaccinated against it and contracted the virus, Nuzo said. If people want to be as safe as possible, wear masks, Newland said. We know that will protect people. And so I really think we have to come to individual decisions and choices and then respect one another. If someone says, I have some high-risk people in my home, I would prefer that you wear a mask, then that's what you should be doing, Newland added. And that was health experts in conundrum over best way to avoid winter 
triple demic, and that was written for The Guardian by Eric Berger. This is Michael McCusker. Dylan Hauser-Schalk is this program's engineer. An emergent idea for an election year in which the party of the rich has failed to ruin once and for all the party of the poor that unfortunately has too often attempted to ape its foe instead of representing its traditional constituency, a form of governance instead that people might accept, which would be the base for all platforms and petitions, a form that would encompass our species' eager and historic love for games and competition and simultaneously embody our penchant for commercialism, a form that would be give and take and not static or rigid, a form that is aware of a general intelligence regardless of education or circumstance, a form capable of measuring worth in terms of honesty, intelligence, and competence, capable also of performing those traits, a form aware of its flaws but able to be essentially egalitarian no matter its economic disparity, a form that is based on mutual respect, one for another, all for most, a reasonable allowance for the presence, talents, and disparities of others. Would that be too much to ask of our volatile yet persistently hopeful species?